let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another evening, another weeknight, reflecting into the richness of our faith. It is Thursday evening, which affords us the opportunity to re-engage this towering topic of apologetics. We are in Dr. Hahn's work, Reasons to Believe. I am going through this work with Rob Sheridan. Rob, it is good to have you back with me tonight. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. <laughs> so, you know, Rob, we're in, we are in the section here of this work of Dr. Hans' Reasons to Believe, where we are engaging the four marks of the church. Last week, I talked about the church is one. One faith, one baptism. The church is holy. Christ is holy, and we are baptized into his holiness. And therefore, we are called to share in this holiness. Uh, and... Now we have the opportunity tonight to talk about two very big words, I think for our listeners especially. What does the word Catholic mean, and what does the word apostolic mean? Because in its four marks, the Church is one, the Church is holy, the Church is also Catholic, and the Church is apostolic. Again, these are the four marks that the Church discerned um, at the end of the 4th century, uh, that the Church fathers... And so we have a lot of subject matter to hit, Rob, so I do just want to jump right in. And I think there's no better place than to start with what the word itself means, Catholic, because it opens up much bigger stuff. (laughs) The word itself, Catholic, uh, means universal. As Dr. Hahn notes, it comes from a Greek, katohole or katoholike, which translates pertaining to the whole. Now, What is universal? What pertains to the whole? I think the best place to start, Rob, is to start from the beginning, right? I mean, when we approach Scripture, what are we to do? We are to read the book as we would read any book, starting with the first chapter, Genesis. Old Testament, New Testament— Also, we can say Old Covenant, New Covenant. To best understand, Rob, what we intend to mean by using the word Catholic, it is to first understand the importance of the covenants that God makes with man in salvation history. All throughout salvation history, you saw God entering into covenant relationship with man. It started all the way back, Rob, in the very beginning with Adam, where he entered into this family bond with Adam and Eve, and its sign was this marital embrace. And out from Adam and Eve, we have, of course, the great covenant with Noah. Oh, and a lot of people are talking about Noah these days. What was going on in Genesis 6 to 9? Well, if you read it carefully, and there are a lot more people reading Genesis 6 to 9 these days, Rob, what you come to discover is this beautiful encounter between Noah and God in the end. And God enters into this covenant relationship with Noah. And what we see 
from the very beginning, Rob, is this covenant expanding. And this is what I want to highlight. With Adam and Eve, it was just two. With Noah, the covenant expands to a household where you have Noah, his wife, his three children, and their three wives. So eight, right? A household. This constitutes a covenant household. And of course, we know the sign is, is the bow in the sky. And then the next major covenant is with Abraham. And this is a threefold covenant, Genesis 12, Genesis 17, Genesis 22. The great sign of this covenant relationship that Abraham enters into with God is circumcision. What's important to note is that covenant relationship with man continues to expand. It goes from two to eight to now, Rob, what constitutes uh, a tribe, Abraham's tribe, Abraham's uh, clan. He's a chieftain. And then we move into the story of uh, Moses in the book of Exodus. And of course, Exodus 12, the great Passover blueprint, where Passover becomes the sign. And this is where God enters into relationship, just not with a household, just not with a clan, but a whole nation, Rob, a whole nation. And if you were to follow the story of salvation history, we arrive at some very important verses in uh, 2 Samuel 7 where God enters into this very rich covenant with David through the prophet uh, uh, Nathan. And it's a covenant that talks about a covenant that will last for all eternity, not for a period of time, 100 years, 300 years, but from David's lineage, a covenant that will last for all eternity. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, he says there in those verses. 2 Samuel 7 verses 10 and following Read them if you've got the time. Now, again, what's important about this, Rob, is the covenant continues to expand. God's covenant plan continues to expand from two to eight to a clan or tribe to a nation to now a kingdom. Well, is that bigger than nations? Yeah, because kingdoms rule nations. And ultimately, Rob, this leads us to the universal covenant. Gentile, Jew, Greek alike. The Catholic covenant, right? The international covenant. We went from two to eight to a clan or tribe to a nation to a kingdom that rules nations to now the whole world. And what is the sign of this great covenant, this great Catholic covenant, but the blood and water that comes out from his side, baptism and the Eucharist. Last week, I talked about Acts 2.42 and that wonderful passage that talks about the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, the interpersonal communion, the handing on of the faith, the worship, the prayers, the distinguishing mark of all that is Catholic is the Mass, the Eucharist. And so when we talk the stuff of what makes us a universal church, it must start there because ultimately this great sign is something no longer written on stone, but etched onto the heart where we enter into, into this new and profound relationship with Jesus Christ. It is universal. It includes all peoples. The great passage from Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. So when we talk about the church being Catholic, we're talking about what is universal. And what is universal, Rob? God's covenant with man. And its signs are baptism and Eucharist. And certainly we have five other sacraments. We can't get into all that right now. Another day, another time. But I want to highlight the universal aspect of it. And what's proper for us to understand and apply to our discussion is that Jesus conferred on the church an authority that was properly his own. And so it extended to every place and through all time. It would be always and everywhere, no matter where you go, Rob. Oh, absolutely, Joe. I, <clears throat> one of the things I love, I've, I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world. Very blessed, thanks to my dear departed grandparents who wanted to make sure that I, I got this very worldly experience. And w- one of the things I love is that every country I've been to, I've been able to go and experience a Mass and it didn't matter if it was in English, Latin, Italian, bilingual, Spanish. I knew what was going on because it really is a universal church. There, there may be there, the, the idiosyncrasies and the music um, and, and perhaps the vestments in the church, but the prayers, the, the, the way the Mass goes, the readings. It's all the same. If I have my iPod with me, I could travel the world and go to every single Mass and know what the readings are, know what's being said. And I love that. I love when, when my wife and I um, first started dating. She, she, um, she's coming into the church this, this Easter, um, so pr- please pray for her um, at this time. Um, but as, as she was getting to know the Catholic Church, um, we would travel, and she would get to see how... The church was the same no matter where we went, and it it felt very much like like being at home. Um, so I, I I love that fact of the universality, but also the fact that it is for all men. Every single race is represented in the Catholic Church. Every single spirituality is represented in the Catholic Church. I've been to charismatic masses where people are singing in tongues. I've been to very Marian masses. I've been to high masses, Latin mass, youth masses. We're we're all united in this. In no matter what kind of person we are, we're all united. We're all universal in this. I've sat at mass next to a young man struggling with same-sex attraction, a mother who has just lost her spouse, and and she's alone with her with her four children. I've had. Um, a young man struggling with, with porn addiction in front of me, a priest next to me, a seminarian behind me, a nun to the left. I've celebrated Mass with a million people in a field in Rome with the Pope presiding over it, and there was someone from every single continent there, from Brazil. We all come together. We all love one another. We're all suffering together. I think you could say with the Catholic Church, come suffer with me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Rob, as you're talking about that, it really does highlight what I think at times has been taken for granted that we can go anywhere. And if I'm, you know, if, if I'm in Italy tomorrow 
If I'm going to Mass in the evening and you're going to Mass in the morning here in, in Chico, um, we're hearing the same readings. Yeah. You know, so what is universal also has this characteristic, uh, this mark, if you will, of continuity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a kind of seamlessness if between Chico and Rome, from Chicago to Brazil. You mentioned Brazil. And, and that is because of the wonderful truth that lies behind this universal aspect of our faith. And uh, so it, it's, it really is a beautiful thing to be thinking about. You know, you were talking about the, um, your iPhone. You know, they have these apps now where all you have to do is, well, you have to download the app and you can pull up what times are masses if you're in another city and there it is, or maybe when, when confessions are being heard, or, or maybe now I saw that they have one for adoration chapels. Oh, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> so it's just like, wow, you know, there's a perpetual adoration chapel in the town that I'm driving through. And now with our iPhones or iPads, we can just, just uh, punch in the address and there it is. You know, it's great. It's great. And, and, and it really is a gift, Rob. It really is a gift. And I want to highlight that word because there's a tendency to take this kind of thing for granted. We just forget. Um, and it really is a gift. And at the same time, an opportunity to go deeper. You know, as I noted off the top here today in our program tonight, it's to appreciate everything we're talking about is to really appreciate what lies at the heart of our faith. And that is what makes this covenant universal is the Eucharist. Uh, to, to know that we can go to Mass, or that's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff. You know, a question I often get asked, Rob, is, well, the word Catholic isn't in, in sacred scripture. Well, we've already talked about the importance of sacred tradition, and it is within sacred tradition that we have some pretty important letters. It was in 105 AD uh, when St. Ignatius of Antioch, and so St. Ignatius of Antioch was a pupil of Polycarp of Smyrna, uh, who was tied, of course, to um, St. John. So Ignatius of Antioch had direct links to uh, John the Evangelist, John the Beloved Disciple, a very prominent figure. Uh, He writes this to the Christians of Smyrna, and this is the first time that the word Catholic was coined. Wherever the bishop appears, let the congregation be there also. Just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. A few years later, the word appears in the account of uh, St. Ignatius's close friend, St. Polycarp's martyrdom, a document addressed to the Holy and Catholic Church in every place. And so there we have the term being used uh, very early on. And as I noted, Rob, the distinguishing mark of its Catholicity is the Mass. You go to that passage in Acts 2, and I do want to read this. It's too important of a passage. Acts 2, verse 42. And they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. So, teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayers. You know, the essential actions, Rob, of the church's life shown forth in the early believing community in Jerusalem. They were a family. They were a family. Now, you were talking earlier, Rob, about, you know, the universal nature and where you were going, and you had all these different kinds of people around you. I think it's an amazing thing that we belong to this universal church and that we can still call each other a family. Yeah. Well, Joe, you, Dr. Hahn talks about this, about how 
how do we know we're in the family of God? Well, we share his name. We're all baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How do we know we're in the family of God? We eat at his table. Yes. We share the same bread. How do we know we're in the family of God? We're in the same, under the same roof, same church. Yes. Yeah. And that's a beautiful point. It really highlights what's going on, too, in Acts 2. You know, that the, the fact that they came together in unity as a family. You know, they, they learned together. They lived together. They ate together. Uh, they worshiped together. They prayed together. This is what families do. Now, it's interesting, Rob. When you look at this, they were steadfast to the apostles' teaching. It is that fourth mark of the church. You know, the church is apostolic. You know, what does that mean to say the church is apostolic? There's a wonderful passage from Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There again, Rob, the family imagery, huh? Built upon the foundation of the apostles. St. John elsewhere shows us that the apostles are the 12 foundations of the walls of the heavenly Jerusalem there in chapter 21, verse 14. The household of God, the heavenly city, that is, Rob, the church, that rests upon the sure foundation of its apostolicity, of its apostolic nature, its identity. The church is apostolic, though, in more than one sense. First, because it is founded on the apostles, but also because it preserves their teaching and traditions, because it continues to be guided by those teachings and traditions, and because it has received, Rob, the entire patrimony of the apostles through legitimate succession. Uh, Pope Emeritus Bennett XVI, in his uh, work on sacred tradition, talks about how that word succession and tradition uh, come from the same uh, word, have the same root. Well, I, I, Joe, the apostolic nature of the church was a big selling point for me when I was coming into the church. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't born or, or brought up Catholic, so I, I really investigated um, the church on an intellectual level um, converted long before I had the, the conversion of heart. Um, but the fact that the teachings, we could see the teachings go back through this succession all the way back 2,000 years to the apostles. You, you just spoke about how St. Ignatius was tied to St. Polycarp of Smyrna, who was tied to one of the apostles. That, that succession, oh, it gave me such peace of mind to know that I could go back back and look through time and not see any point other than when Christ was on the cross giving his life, giving the church, giving birth to the church from his side in, in the blood and water. I, I, I couldn't find any other part in history. Yeah, yeah. People people would argue, well, what about Constantine in the, in the fourth century? Well, History doesn't bear that out. Yeah. History doesn't bear that out because we see before that. We see the church in existence before that, an unchanged church. And and we forget our history. Yeah. We, we don't look back and we, we stop at the 1400s. We stop at the 1800s. We stop in the medieval era. Go back. Go back further. Where did the church start? With Christ, with the apostles, 
down to the Pope. Man, that's powerful. Man, that, that gives me comfort because I know as a father, I can put someone in trust of my children and I have a reasonably good idea that they are going to enforce my teachings to my kids, yes. make sure that yes. they are safe. How much more will God do that? Your heavenly father who is perfect. Yes. He is going to make sure that the church he established carries his authority, carries his teaching the way he wants it to be done. Have we had sinners in the church? You bet. Have we had sinful popes? You bet. Go back in history and see where one of them changed the church doctrinal teaching. You can't yeah. do it. Well, and Christ said, I will build my church. And his sovereignty reigns. Uh, popes are prime ministers to the king. You know, and you know, I, I like what you're saying there, Rob. It's, and we, we do need to be able to personalize this a little bit. You know, we, we, we are critical of this sometimes, but all we have to do is look in the mirror and ask the question, well, how would I do it? Well, actually, I would probably do it this way and, and that way. And, well, that's actually what Christ did. <laughs> you know, it makes a lot of sense. And of course, he gives them this, this gift of the Holy Spirit that allows them to do so. Uh, it, it's interesting if you go into scripture. So, you know, where do you see this whole succession, Joe? Um, certainly you, we've talked about John, Polycarp, Ignatius of Antioch, and how all of these great early church fathers, these great Christian thinkers, were tied to, um, to each other. If you go to Acts 1, verse 15, we read, In those days Peter stood up among the brethren, the company of persons who was in all about 120, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who was guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness and failing and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. So Luke there is recording, of course, Judah, uh, Judas and what happened to him. As far as Peter goes, he says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and his office let another take. And so when you go into this verse, what is St. Peter doing? He's quoting Psalm 108, verse 8, and it's illuminating because the word office here is actually a translation of the Greek word episkopon, which literally means overseer, oversight. It's where we get the English word bishop. In fact, in the King James Version of the Bible, the line is rendered, his bishopric let another take. So there you actually have the word bishop in Acts 1.20. Why is this important, Rob? Because it allows us to appreciate this dynamism that is apostolic succession being carried out in the opening chapter of Acts, right? It, it, again, it comes back to God being that, that loving father, taking care of, taking care of his children. He, he's going to put people in place that we need to have a place. Look at Pope Francis. Do we not need that Pope at this time right now? Yes. 
Yes. Did not God just send us an amazing pope? I trust in that God. Yeah. Yes. I trust in a God who's going to take care of me. Yeah, I mean, amen to Pope Francis for sure. As we look at that passage, Rob, from the first chapter of Acts, Luke is discussing here the office of apostle, which the church even then understood under the title of bishop. You know, a close collaborator of Saints Peter and Paul, Saint Clement of Rome, he described how these men continued this practice in the latter years of their apostolate. Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, France, writes at the end of the second century about the earlier popes as if he were writing about ancient history, and he was. But he was careful to include each and every name as he traced the chain of succession down to his his own day. And once again, in our own study of history, Rob, we too can trace it down to ours. For the church still today passes on its apostolic authority as the first apostles show us in the pages of the Bible by the laying on of hands. If you were to go into 1 Timothy 5, uh, verse 22, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, you see this laying on of hands. And it's not merely a matter of credentials. And Dr. Hahn here says, you know, it's not merely a matter of credentials though they are important, but a matter of the gift, the charisms, the grace conferred through the imposition of divinely qualified hands. If you were to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, this is what Paul is talking about. So the clergy then, Rob, they become ordained stewards of the mysteries of God with a God-given power to exercise that stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4.1, Paul talking about this call to be stewards of the mystery of God. So what does this all mean? It means just what Jesus told the first apostles it would mean. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks through you. Amen. So we have these four marks of the church, Rob. And what we are made to see is that these four marks of the church become tools, principles, to better interpret the church in history that we might better understand history. So that's pretty much a wrap on our time, Rob. As far as next week goes, we will look at the saints. We will look at the saints. I know that um, our faithful listeners have a lot of questions about the saints, so that'll be a fun topic to, to hit. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, end. amen. And God bless you. been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe 
at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.